chair, my, my really uncomfortable napping chair, the um, Habitat for Humanity resale store, a lot of times they'll have stuff. And I wonder if they have like a hammered copper or hammered tin kind of a ceiling thing. That could be cool. Yeah, they d- definitely make those, and they make some that are faux that yeah. that are you know printed, but they also make some that are that are metal. Um, I don't I, I I don't know much about them other than I saw them and I looked at the price and I moved on. <laughs> I imagine there must be some sort of a plastic sheeting you have to put up first, again for that vapor barrier kind of thing, so yeah. that you're not just venting humidity into your eaves or whatever rafters. Right. Do you have exhaust fans in the new house? We do not. Well, there's one in the upstairs bathroom, but it doesn't work, which is fine. But the downstairs bathroom does not have one. Okay. It does have a giant window, which is yeah. rad. Yeah, that's all you... I mean, that, that meets code then. Or at least that's what we were yeah. told when we were looking at houses that over for over here. It was like, yeah, if it doesn't have a fan, it needs a window. If it, you know, So we could take right. the window out, but only if we put the fan in. So... A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. All right. Well, I mean, do you want to start with code stuff tonight? Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) All right. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And I don't know how much of my bathroom renovation stuff I'm going to keep in, but uh, (laughs) depending on how I edit this, Steve and I were just talking about how a residential bathroom, at the very least, requires some sort of ventilation to be, quote, up to code, right? So, Steve, I sent you this article from Food Safety News. Breaking news for everyone's consumption. This is an article written by Dan Flynn, who, dude, writes for this thing a lot. City ending local restaurant inspections in retaliation against its inspectors for closing a popular restaurant. Steve, I didn't know you could do this. This changes the whole fucking game. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it, that's a little... I, I think they can still be inspected. Um, but they're not going to have their own inspector anymore, so it'd be fewer and further between because they have to rely on the state inspector to come by. So yeah. it's not like they're ending inspections entirely, but still, what a, what a rash move, right? So in August of last year, the Lewiston City... Well, so Lewiston, Maine... Maine, yeah. ...contracted with a, a set of health inspectors from the state of Maine to come to their very small town and inspect their restaurants. And it was a re-up on this um, contract because they're not a large enough town to have a health inspector who just lives there, right? Like in Chicago, we must have 7 million of them, but, you know, it, this town is too small. So, Tuesday, which would have been last, this past Tuesday, uh, the third week of January... Quote, the Lewiston City Council voted unanimously on Tuesday to postpone any action on the items until March 19th. No, oh wait, you know what? I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. Here's what happened. That's an update. Here's what happened. Uh, An inspector came from out of town because of this uh, thing that they had, this contract they have with the state to send an inspector every so often, gave a failing inspection to apparently a beloved restaurant in town and shut them down. And the city said, you know what? Fuck you. We don't do inspections anymore. And just kicked them out. That's the long and short of it. Yeah. And um, 
that's amazing. And I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. The, they placed planning and code enforcement director, um, and they have their name, uh, on immediate administrative leave, which is part of the continued fallout. I mean, <laughs> what? what it, and and it, they're not even saying that there was an overreach. They're not saying that things were, were mentioned that weren't true, right? Right. Oh, no, they didn't say, no, this restaurant didn't fail. They just said, how dare you close this restaurant? Yeah, they said, no, we like to eat there, and how, yeah, um... How dare you uh, close it down? We don't care that it's filthy. <laughs> so here's here's where it gets weird. So this restaurant's called Da Vinci's. Someone called the health department and said they saw a cockroach in his restaurant. He was inspected. He failed that inspection, was closed, forcibly closed on January 8th and reopened a week later on January 15th. This guy, Craig Tribuno said the closure cost the restaurant $80,000 and he wanted assurances from the city that it wouldn't happen again. This is a dude whose restaurant, whether or not it was valid, was closed down by the health department and he's telling the city he lives in, don't you let that shit happen again. That feels backwards, but also this opens up such an amazing can of worms. You can just kick the health inspector out of your entire town? Yeah. I kind of love that idea. <laughs> But the thing is, like, if they if they close that whole department, that's the thing that is so curious. Like, so if this was, where was it again? It was the inspector, uh, no, that inspector code enforcement. But so is, is it just for that? Or is it like all code enforcement? Because uh, I'm presuming it's just restaurants. Um, but if that, for that department, so they, they if they close the code, code enforcement department, um, that would have been, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, it's it's foggy. But um, And I, I say that because later on, a building inspector who did not want to be named wrote on Facebook, the message being received is that if I do my job well, I might, not, I might no longer have a job. Imagine going to work with that feeling. So it seems like this city has said, health inspectors, you're not welcome here anymore if you're going to shut down a restaurant we like. And then they looked at all the other inspectors like, be on your toes. Yeah. I'm. I haven't looked into this. I'm assuming that the city council is uh, fairly MAGA heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I um, do not know because, well, uh, so on the there was a survey. It was a it was a county survey that was either sent to us or um, that that I I filled out at one point anyway. And one of the questions was, uh, people should be able to do whatever they want on their property, and I put. And I was like, no. Because that's, that sounds great. It sounds like, well, yeah, I own the property. I should be able to do whatever I want, which sounds great until the guy next to you decides they're going to turn their property into a garbage dump. Or or do some murders, yeah. Yeah, and in, in which case, no. I mean, yes, I think there's an argument for maybe some codes and some things maybe going a little overboard here and there. Um, and and so we need to keep things reined in. But on the other hand, you got to keep people reined in too because um, – is this is this guy part of the mob? Is that is that what it is that he? Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, look, I got an inspection, and uh, you know cockroaches are what makes the pizza so good. So if we lose the cockroaches, your pizzas aren't going to be so good. So <laughs> I got to be able to keep them cockroaches. So now now we can get back to the thing that I erroneously read earlier, which is the update, which is that the city council voted unanimously to postpone any action until March nineteenth, and that is on all of the things you and I have been talking about. So. 
the uh, city council was going to notify Commissioner Jeannie M. Lambrew of Maine's CDC that they were terminating the agreement with the state for um, inspections, right? So they didn't do that. They're pushing that off until until March. Same thing with um, uh, changing the budget so that there was no funding for the thing, for the, for the health inspector and for placing Dave Heidegger on administrative leave, who is the director of planning and code enforcement. Now that goes back to your original point. This would be the person in charge of electrical and masonry and plumbing inspections around town yeah and and doesn't that open up so if you're if you so the the reason that they were going to zero out the budget is because that was the only way to fire the guy they can't actually fire the inspector but if they zero out the budget then they can't pay him and he just you know it's like kaiser Shose or whatever he's gone right Louis um, Lachance, uh, whose position and funding are likely being eliminated. The city's longtime restaurant inspector who holds the sanitation inspector position. But it doesn't say that that person lives there. This yeah. is just the guy they always send to inspect places. But it, And it's the one that's paid for by this, the city. That's why I say, you know, yeah. this is like we're going to contact their own little local, the state's CDC. Um, which I think it's funny that they call it that. Uh, but, uh, to, because then they're, they're, they like, we're not going to do this anymore. You have to do it yourself. So if the, they would have to send people at the state level from wherever way out of town, <laughs> you know, to come in, or maybe they send the same guy and it only the money's coming from a different place now. And that's really what you want, right? Is you zero <laughs> out the guy's budget. And then that's who they send back. They hire yeah. him and they send him to your city. Cause guess who's going to be looking through a fine tooth or, you know, with a fine tooth comb at all of your restaurants. But doesn't that also open up the city for litigation? That's tricky. And I do not know the answer to that. So, yes, Steve, let's say you and I go to uh, Lewiston, Maine, and we go to a restaurant and we get sick. Who do we get mad at about that? Is that the restaurant? Is that the city? Right? Who's on the hook for us getting Ebola or something at a restaurant in Lewiston, Maine? Well, you know, normally I would be like, well, you'd be upset with the restaurant. But then if I saw this article and I'd be like, wait a minute. So this restaurant had been written up and uh, um, he got in touch with the city hall and was like, I don't want this ever to happen again. And so they just stopped it for everybody. And then like, OK, so who's ultimately ultimately responsible is the city. It's the city. It's got to be the city. So they would be the ones that would be uh, hearing a knock from the lawyer that I don't have. So. Later on in this article, it says immediate action by the nonpartisan government could not be taken against Lachance, who's the health inspector fellow, because a union contract covered him. I don't know what union that is. However, if his position and funding are eliminated after the council meeting, those details may not count for much, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Can't fire the guy, but we can, quote, eliminate the position. How many times have you seen that professionally, Steve, where it's like somebody doesn't get fired. It's just like, oh, no, no, we're eliminating your position. And then they change the job title by half a word and hire somebody new. Mm-hmm. And then so they get sued. <laughs> here's here's my next question for you. The future of Lewiston, Maine. Let's say the federal government or the state of Maine comes to them and is like, you need to have a health inspector. You have to get health inspected because things are going to go wrong if you don't. Whoever they hire and whoever is assigned to Lewiston, Maine, is going to feel all of this pressure, which is like if you fail anybody, the whole town is against you. The whole town, like you're going to lose your job, just like what that other the city building inspector just said. Who would want that job? 
now that this one restaurant owner was able to go right to City Hall and say, hey, this guy very validly shut down my restaurant. I don't want that shit to ever happen again. And yeah. City Hall went, yeah, you're right, man. Yeah. So your, your question about mob connections is probably the, um, the most salient. What does this guy <laughs> have on the members of the city council? Yeah. How big is Lewiston, Maine? It said 40,000 people. That's decent, right? That's not small. I can't even I can't even tell anymore. Yeah, I wonder how many people are in Niles. I don't even know. So Traverse City, where I'm from, the population is a little under 16,000. So <laughs> Lewiston is two and a half times the size of my hometown. Okay, yeah. So it's a decent... That's a big town. Yeah. It's a big town. It's I would I would uh, you know, city, I don't know. I don't know what the the requirement population is to be a city. I said that sentence way fucking wrong. <laughs> I don't know what the population would have to be for you to be considered a city. Um yeah. I think it varies by state too. Okay, I'm trying to figure out the makeup of the city council. And I found their website, but it didn't tell me about the information that I wanted to know. Okay, so maybe this is why things were tabled. When That was January, though, right? It was only, uh, yeah, beginning of last week. Okay. Two, they, they recently elected... Uh, or one, two... Three new city councilors. Do any of them work at Da Vinci's Restaurant? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Lewiston City Council President ousted after accusing members of illegal meetings. Uh, so maybe, maybe that. Oh, okay, I'm, that ads keep popping up. But evidently, some they were accused of illegally meeting, discussing business, city business at a local bar. A few of oh. the people. So if that's Da Vinci's and then Da Vinci's gets closed, maybe that was seen as retaliation for, you know, then it becomes a stickier wicket. But still, like, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you're closing down your inspection, uh, the whole agency, and then you can't have anyone inspecting properties for trash and stuff. There's a tragic thing just happened in South Bend. A house fire um, killed some kids. Um... The, a bunch of kids were living there, and come to find out, I just saw this article today that uh, the there had been a Section Eight tenant in there, right. and and law says if that if that's the case, that the building has to be inspected by um, whatever uh, uh, Department of um, Housing or whoever does the Section Eight stuff, and they said you can't be in this building. The wiring is way bad. Yeah. It um and they they gave the the owner. Happens to live in Texas. I don't really. I think that's probably uh, more of a uh, um, uh, coincidence. Yes, than anything else. But uh, yeah, the owner happens to live in Texas. Then and the, anyway, told the management company, and nothing happened. So Section Eight moved that tenant somewhere else. Sure. Um, and then however long this has been, like six months or however long later, house burns down and kills like three kids. Oh no. Yeah, and um, I mean a lot of them escaped there because there were a lot of I think people in there, and then the they got a hold of whoever it was in Texas, and they said um, everything had been uh, everything had been fixed, all the, all the issues that the former tenant had caused before we kicked them out, 
um, were fixed because they caused a lot of trouble. And the, and the article's like, uh, the tenant had been there for a long time and had there had no been no issues. You know, you know, we don't right. see any paper. So anyway, um, and the the thing in South Bend that's going around is or the scuttlebutt there instead of like, well, we're just going to not inspect homes. Um, I think here in Niles, if you rent something, it has to be inspected yearly by the city. Okay. Um, South Bend says we don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the enough people and resources to be able to do that. And Section 8 or Department of Housing or whatever never shared the information with us that there was an issue. And so um, it never got looked at by anybody else to be like condemned or to, or to be written up. And, and shut down. But that's what inspectors do is, is they're yeah. supposed to prevent stuff like that from happening. They're supposed to prevent you from getting sick when you go to a restaurant. They're, you know, it's not about being mean. Shouldn't be. <laughs> right. Well, and I've said this before, that in the city of Chicago, a couple of years ago, when they got rid of the antiquated, disgusting, you know, yard-thick book of Chicago food code that had never really been edited, but it had just been added to throughout the years, when they got rid of that and went to the one that the FDA requires uh, and recommends, which is also, it's like studying for the test, right? Like the test is the serve safe training. So you right. do the serve safe training. You have studied for the health inspection test. If you're not using this, yeah, mob written and rewritten right. Chicago book. And so as soon as they did that, it's not an easier process. You have still, you know, getting a health inspection in Chicago still sucks, but you don't have people that come in and all they care about is the ceiling vents. And they don't even look at your dry storage. You don't have people who come in and drag you up to the third floor of your operation, which is at a school, and uh, write you up for there being rust on one of the water fountains that you have nothing to do with as a food service operator. Yeah. You don't have that anymore. They have a checklist. They go through it. You pass or fail. Yeah. You know, which is nice. I'm sure there are some people that still have their um, their their thing that they're uh, yeah. extra aware of or whatever when they go into places when my parents had a sunroom kind of uh they turned their back deck into a three season room and when the inspector came for that um he's like do you have uh, smoke alarms with uh, uh carbon monoxide detection and my dad's like what no and he's like oh well fail fail inspection wow and um and he what my dad was kind of upset he's like what does that have to do with the the sunroom and i looked it up and yep state of michigan if you're inspected for anything if you do any work in your house and you get an inspection they can require that you install smoke alarms with carbon monoxide detection and until you get that done then you know whatever you just did is not is going to fail inspection even though it has nothing to do with you know your furnace or anything that produces those. So I'm sure that some people, I mean, that was his thing. And granted, yes, that probably saves lives. Yeah. It's it's a good idea to have those smoke alarms with carbon monoxide detectors. But still, when it comes out of left field like that, you're like, what? Um, we just, it's just a three-season room. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there's some people like, no, I'm going to go over your ice machine with a fine-tooth comb or whatever. Um, and no, this isn't meeting meeting code. But, uh, but switching to the serve safe should have... Um, prevented some grift, right? Yeah, you would think so as well. In a city like Chicago, when notorious for that kind of thing, that was a that's yeah. probably. I mean, it's kind of surprising that that was even able to happen. Well, it took a long time. The yeah. serve safe stuff has been around since the well, at least my entire career. Like I remember the first time I did a serve safe training thing was in the nineties, right? And it was 
a whole book and because this was pre-internet right like you had to study a book and then you had to do a proctored exam and stuff like that but it's been around for a very long time and the fda has been utilizing that resource for a very long time and I, things i forget who it was there was some city councilman or a comptroller or some sort of a bureaucrat somewhere that was just like this book is dumb the federal government has one let's just use it come on yeah and there if i remember correctly there were a couple of sanitarians a couple of health inspectors who were against it and this person said and on the grounds of like well we don't we haven't been trained in how to do this and the city council person was just like oh yes you are this is exactly what you're trained to do this information is what you should have been inspecting on all along right yeah if you're not trained to do this i got news for you (laughs) you're not trained yeah now to go back to the main thing a medium-sized city in maine ousts someone from city government because that person is angry that people are having discussions about confidential government and governmental issues in a restaurant right that person gets ousted that restaurant gets inspected and gets closed down that restaurant owner goes to the city council now without this person on it and says hey don't let this shit happen again and the city votes to get rid of health inspectors completely all this is missing is a murder and it sounds like a cozy (laughs) mystery (laughs) if that person who got ousted was ousted from life yes it's a cozy mystery oh it, it definitely is yes if instead of getting fired they get absolutely yes <laughs> they write themselves ben they write themselves yes. yes i mean you have to change the name lewiston to something more cozy probably but uh death inspection <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's perfect perfect title yes <laughs> at, at a pet and, uh, yeah, rename the town to something a little more cozy in Chocolate Town, Maine, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. I So I have a friend who lives in Maine, and uh, he's a fancy movie star guy, so I won't say his name, but he lives in Maine. So I could easily have him pick us a good Maine name, you know, because <laughs> I, I don't know what towns are called in Maine. Yeah. I've been to a few. Banger. Or no, it's Bangor there. It's Bangor in Michigan, right? Don't know. Um, no, it's Banger, Maine, Bangor, Michigan. I think that's Banger. I just met her. (laughs) That's the joke, right? That's the joke. So still (laughs) Banger, you brought her. (laughs) I hadn't heard that one. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, really at the furthest silly extent of this, ladies and gentlemen, and health inspectors in particular, fucking watch your back. Cause, uh, this could become a national trend where it's like, oh no, no, you shut down our favorite Taco Bell. Get out of town. And they like run the inspector out of town on a rail. Well, that's that's the um, the fever dream of the Steve Bannons, right? Is yeah. is yeah. the 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 death of the administrative state. But this is what it looks like: is that okay? That means that your your neighbors um, have eight rusty automobiles and a pile of garbage in their yard. Tough tough nuts, yeah. buddy. That's just the way it's going to be. So, yeah, as much as I hate getting health inspected, and I have yet to actually fail a health inspection in my entire career. Hope I'm not jinxing it because my operation hasn't been inspected this school year yet. But this is what we pay our taxes for. So the, uh, like, continual rolling history of war, that's not what we're really paying our taxes for, right? Police brutality, that's not what we're paying our taxes for. Our taxes go to the federal government and to the city and state governments specifically for things to keep us safe. That's really the point. It's yeah. to put shit in the potholes so that the, our cars don't get all exploded, right? It's like 
keep the infrastructure running and keep us safe from stuff. That's the entire point of government, right? And yeah. in some cases, the stuff you're keeping us safe from is other people. I get it. There needs to be some sort of a carceral state. I, that's fine. But, like, where you pay taxes to fund stuff like health inspections, yeah, they suck. But it does mean that restaurant operators have to abide by a certain bare minimum of safety procedures. Yeah. We just have to, right? Uh, I was about to say... Oh, so it's it's the 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 idea of you know people get sick less and less in restaurants. Why do we need health inspectors? That's the same thing of like, well, people don't get mumps anymore. Why do we need vaccines? It's because of the vaccines, you fucking dummies. That's <laughs> yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. If restaurant operators didn't have the threat of getting health inspected hanging over their heads all the time, they would not be as clean and as sanitary as they are. Yeah. That's simple as that. If we're not threatened, if my people are not threatened, we won't do the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, and and the, the, the it is about you know doing the right thing and ensuring that people do the right thing, and I think where it gets annoying is when those people are being nitpicky or or looking at yeah. things that that are really outside their purview or or beyond kind of the scope of that of that mission, and be like, yes, this sink is two feet too far away from whatever, but it's two feet. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know what yeah. what a nitpicky thing would be, but. Um, you know. Well, so the other thing is that, like, some things are written in stone. I need to have a city of Chicago manager's sanitation certification. I need to have that document. I do have it. It's good till 2028, I think. So that's a pass-fail. You either have that thing or you don't. There's a lot of things. Because, like we've talked about in past episodes, a restaurant... Nobody in the world is designing restaurants from a kitchen perspective, Right. Even though, as far as I'm concerned, the whole fucking reason anybody goes to a restaurant is to get food. I don't care how cute your servers are. I don't care how cool your decor is, you bunch of hipster douchebags. I don't care what your place is called, what your cocktails are like. People are going to restaurants to get food. However, 97% of the uh, landmass of that restaurant and the intention put into designing it is front of the house. And then they're like, oh, crap, kitchen. Cram, 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 cram. And it gets jammed in the back somewhere. And so health inspectors, I don't envy them that job. You have to go into a kitchen every day, probably several kitchens every day, that are just designed differently and badly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, how far away is the line cook from their closest hand sink? Well, yeah, maybe it's right there on the other side of the line, but maybe they have to walk 18 feet down the line and then 18 feet back because their line terminates in a wall. And the sink, the hand sink is on the other side of the line on that same wall. Then that becomes an issue. So if you just measure it, that line cook is three feet away. But if you look at the travel, it's 18, it's 36 feet, right? That's the kind of crap that health inspectors have to deal with. I don't envy them that at all. Yeah, for sure. And they've got, I mean, I, I'm sure there are some small towns that have inspections that are less frequent. Um, but, but. The, and I guess the theory is, or the uh, especially for those that are would be anti, like would say we can no, it's okay, we can do away with all of this because people will just vote with their dollars. And uh, if you walk into a place that's dirty, um, then you won't eat there, and that place won't be able to stay open, which is all well and good. But you don't see the kitchen, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So unless you're trying to be your own inspector and be like, I need to look in your kitchen. <laughs> Make sure you're well, washing your knives or whatever. And to go back to this article, the 
fellow who owns the place told local media that someone had reported seeing a cockroach in the restaurant's kitchen. That does require an immediate inspection. So if a customer calls up the health department and is like, Da Vinci's is dirty as fuck, they will go in and inspect, right? So I am not recommending this, but if you are a jilted ex-employee of a place, you could do worse than to call up the health department. Even if your call is completely fraudulent, health department's still going to go inspect them. And it's still, no matter what, it's going to be a bummer for the operation. Yeah. This guy also happened to have a restaurant that required a closure because of that inspection. And so he closed the inspectors, which I don't still like the power <laughs> structure there is still shocking to me. Yeah. I also don't. I mean, I've walked into some places, maybe mostly in Florida, which would explain some things. I can't can't remember where, but I know I've walked into some places and it's like, OK, I'm sticking to the floor. There's yeah. a thin <laughs> coat of grease on everything in here. It's yeah. a takeout place usually. Um, and I still got food and left so, and they're still open. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it seems like the bars may be a little, uh, too low <laughs> for some places, yeah. but it also, I mean, it cannot be a job that attracts tons and tons of applicants, right. To be a health inspector. I imagine every health inspection, uh, agency in this country is understaffed all the time because I, I honestly don't know who would want that job. That sounds kind of awful. You walk into a place, everybody automatically hates you. And then you have to tell them what they're doing wrong. Yeah. Simple as that. Like, you probably go into every restaurant hoping it's going to be great. And then you're just like, ah, crap. Here's another restaurant I can't eat at, you know? And so it's probably awful. And it probably grinds you down very fast. Yeah. As far as just like uh, faith in humanity. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's got to be hard to, uh, going through life as a muffin tray. Right, exactly. A health inspector. Yes. <laughs> not the health inspector. A health and it's, inspector. It's a job I would not want. And these people are so highly educated because usually to become a sanitarian, your first path is you're a, you study biology. You're a biologist a lot of times. And uh, to be that well educated and to go into places where you've got people yelling at you from the get about what are you doing here why am i being inspected all this kind of stuff i've worked in places too that i've worked there for you know years and we never got inspected that's not really anybody's fault that's not necessarily a flaw of the system in as much as the places where i was working if i worked there for any amount of time i was accepting whatever level of sanitation was going on which for me my standards are pretty high on that uh, but there were places that that we got Regular inspections to the point where it felt a little bit planned, like maybe there was some sort of grift, maybe the chef or the owner did know, on this date, I want you to inspect my restaurant, kind of a thing. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think the alternative to the current system is twofold. You're, you're going to end up with places like White Castle, which is has its name because they made everything white and kept everything spotless, like that was kind of their, their deal. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it was really dusty in the '30s or whenever White Castle came around. But do you want every restaurant restaurant to be White Castle? I sure don't. No. I don't want any restaurant to be White Castle. Um, and then the other restaurants you're going to have are Squirrel making uh, right. um, moldy jam. Be like, no, it's fine. Just scrape the mold off. And I mean, that was that was a place that, like, le- legitimately thought that was fine. That was okay. Well, I would I would say they did not think it was fine. I think because they would lock that 
prep space and not allow the inspector to know it existed. They knew they were doing something wrong. I believe they're still open. They still know they're doing something wrong. That was a non-inspectable food service area, which is not supposed <laughs> to exist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if it's non-inspectable, you can't do food from there, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So then you have people like that intentionally um, subverting the system uh, or, you know, contravening or whatever yep. to, to get around stuff. And, and like... N- is that is that what we want? Moldy jam and and White Castle does not. That sounds dystopian to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds yeah like Demolition Man. If there were to be a reboot of Demolition Man, it'd be that instead of Taco <laughs> Bell and people making rat burgers. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank Boy, you. There's a movie I haven't thought about in a very long time. Wow. Kayla and I just watched uh, RoboCop one and two. Not food movies. No, very much so not. Either, Although, either, it still happens in my nightmares, that dude who got the toxic waste dumped on him, who gets hit by the car, and he kind of explodes. That shit still happens in my nightmares. I saw that movie when I was 14, probably. That guy is Leonard Betts from X-Files, the guy that eats the cancer. No way. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. And then the leader guy making the drugs in... Uh, yeah. Uh, he is... Uh, oh, Rick Scott, the serial killer from uh, X-Files, Paper Hearts. Um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, the guy who would... Uh, take a little bit of the jammies from the kids that he snatched up yeah yeah Yeah, that one yeah i think i knew that at some point are there any x-files episodes that are about food besides the alien one where Mulder eats a whole sweet potato pie (laughs) i guess the vampire one that's food related vampires eat people yeah there's the one the where Jillian Anderson is off having a baby and Mulder that's a vampire one where they make put he finds the the bread in the oven with the blood in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a mushroom one, but it's more of a psychedelic mushroom than it is a culinary mushroom. But for the old people? This is the one where Mulder and Scully were trapped underneath a tree in a giant mushroom that was feeding them like oh. a fantasy they were living in. Right, right. Yes. I remember that one. That one was very drippy it was a drippy episode no x-files didn't really get into food much no the the vampire one although it wasn't uh um the vampires Luke. eating people but the with the kid from uh sandlot yep that's in it with, he was with, drugging pizzas yeah yeah is that the one you were thinking about oh yeah with luke wilson yeah yeah because that's the one where the um she's doing the autopsy and she's describing the toppings on the pizza that the guy ate before he died and then she's like oh i'm hungry and then Mulder had ordered a pizza and the kid's the pizza delivery guy yeah 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 kind of food related food that episode of television that's one of the greatest like 44 minutes of television ever assembled (laughs) it is yes a, a very good episode they have three or four where it's the same story told from several different perspectives and they it's genius absolute genius every time Talking about Shaft. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning, so my son turned 15 this past December. I've been meaning to introduce him to the X-Files, but like, yes, we love the X-Files. Does it play now? Or would it be, like, not only kind of chintzy, because the effects were okay, but there's a reason why they filmed most of that at night. But just like, even, well, the hair, for sure, and especially that first season, and the shoulder pads on uh, on Scully, but like, does it play now? Do you think? I I think so. Kayla and I have been watching them. We actually we got sidetracked a little bit with Millennium, which doesn't hold up quite as well. 
didn't I saw some of that didn't really hold up even at the time um Chris Is that Carter Brett Spiner's one no okay Chris Carter, it was a spinoff, kind of. It, Chris Carter started it. It wasn't really supposed to be in the X-Files universe, but then when it got canceled, he finished it, or they tried to do like a, a final episode in an X-Files episode, and that really didn't go like huh. they hoped it would either. Um, but um, And then we, we're watching uh, Lone Gunman right now. That's such a good show. Yeah. That show, the Lone Gunman won an Emmy. For the opening of their, uh, the one that takes place on a boat, where the the opening credits are them dancing the tango, it won an Emmy. That's fucked up <laughs> for, an, for a show that only went one season and predicted the nine eleven attacks. Yeah, uh, it it uh, was ahead of its time. I think. Yeah. It's because it's very, uh, you can you can. Uh, with Vince Gilligan on board, you can give, get a Breaking Bad sort of a... Oh, I yeah. mean, Vince Gilligan is Vince Gilligan through and through, so all of the ep- X-Files episodes he's a part of are very fun and very well done. And uh, Lone Gunman, are, it's very well done. Um, yeah, maybe just a little ahead of its time. I don't know why people didn't get on board, because it is a great show. Yeah. Not, not much food in that one either. No. Well, I guess there's the one we, we just watched uh, where they're trying to find out if the lady is the hiding Nazi who used to poison people with pastries. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, good inspection oh, hey. will prevent that. <laughs> Pastries. Let's transition back into the food part of our show. Sure. <laughs> uh, so, my wife is looking for Queen Amon, which is a French pastry. It's a puff pastry thing. It's all these layers. There's a wee little bit of sugar in between it. You make it in a muffin tin. I've made it once. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but it can be really tasty. She had one when she was in Salt Lake City last weekend. And it was it was okay. She'd never had it before, and she wants to find a good one here in Chicago. So my daughter and I went to two different bakeries today, one of which was called Le, Le Jouteur. I'm saying that way wrong. And the other one was called Paris Baguette. And both of them, without me knowing, because we went north of the city, were uh, Korean-French bakeries. Oh, okay. Really interesting, really good stuff. I was because we got a variety of things at both places. They did not have the thing my wife was looking for. That did not stop us from buying a bunch of stuff. But I mean, like, it, what it looks like is what it exactly is, which is like French technique, French influence, obviously colonialism, but then people playing with those ideas. So there was like a a, a puff pastry. Almost like a, a croissant except square, right? Wrapped around a hot dog. You're like, okay, well, this is the fanciest pig in a blanket you've ever seen. Stuff like that, right? There was a a, a, a donut, essentially. A, a round, not a whole donut, but like a, a, a like almost like a punchki kind of thing. Stuffed with red bean paste. You know, things like that. It was really, really fun stuff. So we had a nice. good time doing that. I can I can recommend both of those uh, both of those places. Now, do you think a regular bakery that isn't uh, doesn't uh, doesn't have French anything in the title would have the pastry you're looking Queen for? Queen Amont? I have no idea. I I am gonna have to start making inquiries with people that I know because I'm sure I can't just Google where do I get this in Chicago and have it actually come up. And I also don't know how to spell it because it's not Q U E E N. It's like K O I G N E or something like that. It's a crazy word, and uh, I just don't know where to get them here in town. Do you and think, I'm running out of weekend. It's already Saturday night. Do you think Aya Pastry might have it? Uh-oh. 
you're you're alluding to something. I don't know what it is. Uh, the same owner as Etta and Maple oh, and Ash. Jeez, yeah. Let's get into that. I bet you they don't now. Uh, so this article from the Chicago Sun Times that I sent you is from like yesterday or the day before. Former Maple and Ash co-owner struggles in new restaurant venture after eviction, loan default, aims to emerge quote stronger. So. We talked about this particular restaurant group way back in the day because this fellow was accused of using PPP money, which is payroll protection funds, to buy a private jet. Turns out that was just true. This guy, David Pizer, owns a private jet that he bought with money that was supposed to go to staff, right? Uh, the amount of, again, grift, corruption, just outright theft that happened with the PPP program, shocking absolutely shocking how many people not only did it but got away with it right so this uh there's two uh oh pants hates grift yeah Uh, you you explain the thing i'm gonna go take care of him all right steve's handling his dog who gets so angry about chicago restaurant corruption so the owner of etta there's two locations of Etta, one in River North and one in Bucktown, and Aya Pastry and Maple and Ash um, took a bunch of PPP funds throughout the, the pandemic and apparently spent it very, very wrong, right? Because that's how people did. And I am going to pull up a, a picture that I sent to Steve, which is from the Chicago Service Industry closed facebook group right so this is from beginning of last week and i'm not going to say the person's name because it doesn't uh, matter too much the so this this is the facebook post so the staff at etta in river north got text messages today informing us the restaurant is closed this comes just after staff called them on charging us for insurance that had already been canceled and a myriad of other issues when i got the call it was literally we are closing i'm sorry but i have no other info for now David Pizer is a scumbag, and his assistant, head of HR, Julie Potesta, is just as bad. So that's the that was the thing that first brought this to my attention happening right now. So there was another item that uh, I sent to Steve right after that, which was another screenshot of another Facebook post. Again, let's keep this anonymous. Spilling tea today. Etta River North closed today without giving employees any notice. They've been committing insurance fraud for months. They canceled our dental in August and didn't tell us, but we're still taking out our premiums. All of our claims were rejected. When we found out, they said, when we, we all found out, they said they would write us a check to cover the bills and then said they spoke to the insurance company and would retroactively cover the claims. When we had our dentist rebuild the insurance, it was denied again, and they kept taking the premiums out even after they admitted it was canceled. Some of us didn't re-enroll, and they still took out full premiums. They never refunded us for our dental. We tried emailing the person in charge of this multiple times. Her name is Julie Potesta, and she refused to answer anyone. No one got an explanation. We still don't know what happened. At one point in December, they raised our premiums without anyone's consent in a non-enrollment month, and when everyone freaked out, they changed it back. When I spoke to a former employee in HR, they said the owner had them manually raise it, then change it back when we freaked out. They stopped paying into unemployment recently, showing that they knew they were going to close and didn't tell anyone. The owner of Etta is planning on opening a steakhouse in one Chicago, most likely to spite Maple and Ash because he still butthurt about that, and an Etta in Evanston. 
I highly suggest no one work there. David Pizer has been extremely shady to work for, and it's honestly disgusting what they've done in the past five months to their employees. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, just in case you guys have not heard this yet, if you own a restaurant, if you are a scumbag, it's going to come out on social media basically immediately. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get away with it. Right. So, what I have seen as far as the fallout of this is concerned in the Chicago Hospitality Facebook group is there are a number of, and they're a little ambulance chasey labor lawyers in that group who just watch for shit like this and they have a number of them have offered their services because what they would love to do is go after a restaurant group like this and say hey guess what all of this is fraud and some of this is federal fraud yeah medical insurance fraud is no joke right yeah absolutely and i'm surprised that none of that is in this article but i i felt like this article um led some or lent some credibility to those claims because yeah i mean it's like uh well what's the motive for the murder oh they're financially really in bad shape um and so it's like well yeah what were they just really greedy no not necessarily really greedy but defaulted on a 2.5 million dollar loan on january 17th and that wasn't the only one right there's uh Default on a two. Oh, that was that same one. Two point five million dollar loan. Yeah, I feel like there's another one in here somewhere too. But it's well, like, yeah, so, yeah. This article, which I can only read part of because I don't pay for uh, the Sun Times, um, defaulted. Uh, David Pizer defaulted on a two point five million dollar loan last week, a day before his Etta's location in Scottsdale, Arizona, filed for bankruptcy. On Monday, Pizer abruptly closed Etta's River North location, reportedly giving his employees two hours' notice. Yeah. How many employees? I was wondering about the, you know, we talked or I brought up a while ago that, you know, if you, you if you're laying off your workers and you're a business of a certain size, you have to give the federal government notice. Um, and there's a website in each state for that. So I wondered if they uh, if they were big enough that they were supposed to do that unless it's a, uh, you know, some an implosion or something like this. Well, and it depends on the size of the organization and how savvy they are, just like your bagel people, where they had all of their locations be separate businesses. Right, right. So you can keep that total employee number down if you keep the businesses separate. Now, there's benefits to having them all be the same thing, but if you are worried that you're going to buy yourself a private jet and then not be able to pay your bills, uh, maybe you keep all those things separate. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I feel like the, this Pisner and the guy that um, owned the bagel place, uh, or uh, Pizor, and the guy that owned the bagel place would be two peas in a pod because I was told once, yeah, if, if the um, if the till is ever short, you have to uh, take the money out of the tips to, to make it up. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. That's illegal. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, you don't do that anymore because I told you because I'm not stupid. Right. Um, well, and forcibly changing your employees' uh, tax information or their health insurance information again federal fraud well yeah well, that, that like big daddy government comes down on you for that well and, and like you said that's insurance fraud right because they were paying yeah. for something they weren't getting insurance wise uh that you said that you were gonna i mean there's just so many levels to that that are uh disgusting and uh i'm glad i mean it, it's nice that they were people that were uh wise enough to be like this isn't an enrollment enrollment month this shouldn't you yeah. know our premiums can't be adjusted like this they can't change yeah um so uh i mean it, it was good that people were were paying enough attention to notice that but yeah and, and the fact that that he's still planning on uh opening up some other restaurants like how 
How does he get funding? Who gives this guy money? Well, I mean, so here's the part that I don't understand. The restaurants are massively popular. Maple and Ash in its day brought it was the highest grossing restaurant in Chicago. And I, my boss, when he has to entertain folks from out of town, takes them to Etta. Like that's his go-to for like this restaurant is awesome and popular. It's always jammed. The food's amazing. That kind of thing. What are you doing outside of the job? That you're mismanaging your funds so bad that you can't make successful restaurants work. Yeah. There are people out there, like, I get it if you can't make a restaurant work. How do you figure out a way to not make a successful restaurant work? Yeah. Unless the whole thing is real estate space. Because if this person, want, if this David Pizer guy wants to move to Scottsdale, Arizona and Evanston, the real estate's cheaper there. So if this person's going to, if this guy's going to cry poverty because of what it costs to just have a space in chicago oh, that part i can kind of understand however you still don't need a private jet but what's one chicago and if he's opening a place there that doesn't sound like a cheap place to open uh a... yeah i don't know that either if I he's gonna do a, a steakhouse there so um yeah I, but the and he had one that was out of state that that filed for bankruptcy as well yeah is Arizona. that right um and though hollywood was where he was gonna make put one right or somewhere in, out in california was gonna be another etta Yes. Um, that was, uh, uh, oh yeah, uh, signaled plans to expand to Devin, Evanston and Dallas, Texas. A Beverly Hills, California location is also in the works according to the website. Um, uh, but that's on hold as uh, he restructures his company and addresses what he calls, quote, problems. There are a lot of things we are working on, he told the Sun Climbs, declining to elaborate. We've identified and worked through those problems. Our goal is to emerge from them stronger. Um, he hopes to turn around in the next two to three months, uh, and his at a location in Bucktown is still thriving. So there's still one in Bucktown. Yeah, I think that's the location my boss goes to, because that, if I understand correctly where my boss lives, that would be the closest one to him. Okay. So the now-closed Cafe Sophie in the Gold Coast was served an eviction order in December, so he just wasn't paying rent. Yeah. Uh, he owed $86,000 in rent there. Um, so the guy's just an ashole. <laughs> <laughs> right yes a maple yes. and ash hole <laughs> maple he should have paid his bills uh so yeah i it's once again i feel like i have to say this every episode nobody teaches you how to be a restaurant owner there's not barely even guidelines for it there's no real school for it like sorry johnson and wales you can talk all day about your your hospitality management courses and i get that but like nobody ever sits any restaurant owner down and is like look here's how to do this job because nobody really fucking knows how to do it right it's this made up thing some people are great at it some people are not it's entirely based on where you are when you are all that kind of stuff but people who have success early tend to do stuff like this they flame out they buy themselves a jet through you know payroll protection fund fraud and then once they get away with a fraud, they're like, I'm going to get away with all the frauds. You know, I mean, maybe we're looking at this wrong. Maybe the, the private jet is his getaway car. Like, he's yeah. he's sees the writing on the wall, and he's like, I need a way to escape, and that's it. And hello, uh, where did where's that other couple go? Argentina or wherever? Mexico? Mexico, yeah. yeah. The ones from that island place? Yeah. yeah uh, that was fraud on a different level. But he, and he, you're right, uh, or whoever wrote that, that he's still definitely so emotionally um, uh, wrecked over the Maple and Ash thing, because he says, uh, 
According to a January 2 email in the filing, uh, he told bank officials that he was restructuring the company. He wrote there were, he wrote there, quote, are a number of leases we cannot execute, unquote. He also wrote that he planned to sell property at 1332 West Grand Avenue, where Aya Pastry is located. But on Thursday, or it doesn't say but, he says Pizer on Thursday said there was no plan to sell the business there. So they own the property, but I don't know. Um, and there are a lot of bills from the separation that were not disclosed, he wrote, referring to his split from former business partner. So he's still blaming the former business partner for all of his troubles. Yeah. Saying that there's all these bills from separation. And meanwhile, um, that there's an ongoing ongoing lawsuit by Maple and Ash investors alleging financial malfeasance by its owners. And this looks like, I mean... It looks like there's been malfeasance in other in other places as well. Yeah. What was that place down in, um, was it Georgia that closed? I think I've asked this again because Maple and Ash, I always think it's that. It was something and something too, right, that closed overnight? This was, yeah, Asheville, North Carolina, that burger place. Is that what it was? And it, it ha- like, it's, um, flagship is in Atlanta, but they opened one up in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And then, yeah, closed on a Wednesday at, like, 1 in the afternoon or something. Yeah. But the, pre- presumably their Atlanta location is still going. So this Bucktown Etta is still going. This, I mean, I don't know about Cozy, but there's a similar kind of mystery in this, you know. And this is more like, um, I don't know, soap opera or, yeah, yeah. you know, high drama um kind of stuff this is this this is what i mean the what's the um italian beef show called oh the bear yeah yeah i mean this is one of those types shows well i haven't i haven't seen it but this is like a you know like a another chicago so we got chicago fire chicago pd what's the other one chicago uh er or whatever the the, the, the three chicago shows yeah so we need Chicago Eats or something about this, and this is it'll be same world, the same Chicago, one Chicago world or whatever, <laughs> and uh, it's about the <laughs> restaurant drama. So it's interesting you bring up the bear. So you've not seen any of it? I have not. I have not finished the first uh, season, and the reason for that is because it is traumatic is the wrong word. It is way too tense for me, and I once again challenge any optometrist out there, if there was a really, really, very, like, sort of eerily accurate optometry show that was also super stressful, would you be (laughs) excited to go home and watch it? Because people keep calling me out for not watching The Bear, and I'm like, I have worked in places like that with people like that. You really want me to watch a show about that? Right. Fine. Someone, a fellow named James, wrote on our Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook and you look up In the Weeds of Ben Randall, you'll find our Facebook page. The Bear and Maddie Matheson in general, nothing to do with the real deal of cooking for a living, but the only way to put our industry in the spotlight, question mark? Thoughts, question mark. I do have thoughts about this, James. (laughs) And I uh, super appreciate that whole notion, which is... Even though I haven't watched all of it, I know what they're doing, and I can kind of appreciate what they're doing. What does it do for us? Because some of the criticism that I heard of the bear when I first started, when it first came out, was, "Oh, well, it's 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 making a mockery of of, of restaurant. It's just showing, you know, that restaurant work is awful." And I would argue it's just accurate, right? So I guess my answer to you, James, is like. I don't know what the long-term effect of this is going to be, and I haven't seen the second season, which I hear is a, a, a sort of like a different storyline. But 
the realism of that stressful, dangerous, crazy work is important for people to see because we are at the like crest, the 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 descending crest of this wave of celebrity chef being a thing. And I I would argue that in this country the celebrity chef notion has been nothing but negative. Pants agrees with me. Yes, he's on board. When chefs became celebrities, we became worse. We became more awful people. And I say we as like a, a species, chefs in, in, in the United States, yeah. for specifically David Pizer kind of reasons. You do a thing really, really well, and people tell you that thing that you do is great. And then you do another thing really, really well, and people tell you that thing is great also, right? You have sycophants. And then after a while of hearing that over and over again, you start to think that because people are telling you that you're great, everything you do is great. Yeah. And when you get away with fraud, it's great. When you get away with sexual abuse, it's great. When you get away with being a drunk, it's great. You then only allow yourself to think that whatever it is you're choosing to do, it's great. And the celebrity chef culture has fed into that because it's great and you're being rewarded and you're you're on TV, your picture's in a magazine, all of this kind of stuff. You get your little fucking tweezers. All of that comes from this celebrity chef notion so a show like that that shows actually lots of restaurant stuff sucks i think is is probably bad for the culture but good for just informing people of what it is more or less really like because again anybody out there who's in the industry if you have not worked in a restaurant like the one in the bear you can't say that doesn't exist i have i've worked in places that are eerily similar to that and that's what makes it so hard for me to watch that show. <laughs> you is, know? is the writer or showrunner, did they, do they have industry experience? So that's the Maddie Matheson of it at all. So there is a Canadian chef named Maddie Matheson who I actually don't like him and I cannot figure out why. Something about the dude just bothers me. He just He's too friendly? Me. He keeps picking up the litter there on the sidewalk, yay? No, I don't know what it is. Something about the dude just really bugs me but he is one of the if not writers then chef consultant or something like that and it's funny because he does also act on the show but he's not a cook he's just like a handyman plumber electrician guy who hangs around the restaurant which again in chicago everybody has that guy so that they nailed that and maybe he's just doing a great job of being like the sort of skeevy handyman guy. <laughs> but I, I don't know what it is. Sorry, Maddie Matheson. I bet you're fine. I just don't like you and I don't know why. But <laughs> it's it's the show. What that show did really well was get the details that somebody outside of the industry would have overlooked and nailed them and made them important and made them stressful. And yeah, that sort of thing. Um, now, obviously, not every restaurant is like that, right? Um, so is it highlighting the wrong thing? Do you think it's going to turn anyone off to a career in the industry, or do you think it's just setting expectations at a, a level they should be at? Somewhere in between those. So some of the criticism that I've heard has been put exactly like that. I've heard people say shows like The Bear are going to make people not consider restaurant work a career. Great. I agree with that. I think that the bear, if they didn't set out to do that, they're wildly succeeding in that anyway. Because you can't look at a show that's that realistic about restaurants and think, hey, you know what? I'm going to be that guy. Nobody wants to be anybody in that show. 
Yeah. Because even the people in that show who succeed fail. Yeah. It's wild. It's it's a wild ride. Um, does it also just set expectations where they should be? Yeah, kind of. You know? Is every chef in the world and every restaurant in the world, or at least this country, run that way and operating like that? Nope. But, no... So here's the thing, for me. Nothing in that show felt wrong or out of the ordinary or something that was unbelievable to me with my 31 years of experience in the restaurant industry. Nothing felt overhyped, overblown, exaggerated, anything. It all felt very real. Was I seeing everything I'd ever seen in my career? No. But no part of it felt unbelievable. It's interesting because you think about all of the Chicago shows, the Chicago PD or whatever they're all called, Chicago Med, maybe that's it, and then Chicago... uh fire Fire. um and there are aspects of those that would be realistic but on a whole i would say they're unrealistic cops don't can't and shouldn't act like the cops on chicago pd right um the same Uh, show i've never seen even though my sister is in an episode of one the same with like CSI and and those shows oh i don't i've never seen an episode either i'm just assuming because you've you've got the one cop that's like um, it's, it's like, uh, uh, those shows versus, so I married an ax murderer when he's like, uh, you know, something about the, <laughs> the, the commissioner is like, Oh, I don't yeah. report to a commissioner. I report to a committee of, um, you know, and, and uh, which was and much there's more, there's gotta be a quorum. <laughs> yeah. Much more realistic sort of look yeah. at what it means to be a police officer. So like the, Despite how bad some police officers are in terms of their actions, um, they they can't get away with the things that cops on TV get away with. Yeah. And and th- like the to insert the drama in that in, in the in the fire one too in the Chicago fire, uh, I'm sure that some of the aspects of that are realistic, and there are some things that you know um, firefighters would watch and be like, well, that wouldn't happen because you wouldn't use the this thing for that. You'd have to get this nozzle for the hose or whatever, right. you know, for that kind of thing. And yet um, that that sort of thing isn't taking place in the restaurant show. The restaurant show is much more, I mean, not that it's a check, one of the Chicago shows, but just I yeah. can't think of another show about a restaurant. No, uh, Kitchen Confidential tried to be made into a TV show years and years ago, but they went with more of a comedy aspect and it did not work out at all. Um, I did not see any of it. Um, it's hard. It is hard to film in restaurants. It's hard to film in restaurant kitchens. And in watching The Bear, I have no good sense of what their layout of their restaurant is. Even though you get a very strong sense of place when they're filming in the restaurant, I have no idea what the layout is like. Because it's really hard to film in a restaurant. They're not. It's not a space that's designed to be filmed in, you know? Yeah. And so there's no clear lines of sight. There's no... Like, everything is corners. Everything is stairs. Everything is narrow hallways. And so, to a certain degree, that makes that much more realistic. Because it isn't this big open thing where you know exactly where you are all the time. If you're a new employee at a restaurant, you don't know where the fuck you are half the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Because, because there's zero logic to it. Yeah. There's, you know, you, you, um, you can't, you walk into most, uh, you walk into a firehouse, you know, you're going to be able to get the layout of, okay, here's the trucks. Uh, <laughs> there's yeah. the, um, the outfits. Um, they call them outfits. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's, uh, the kitchen, here's the bunks, whatever. Um, but yeah, you walk into a, you, any given kitchen and, uh, the walk-in cooler is, oh, two floors above us. Great. Great. <laughs> you know, you just never yeah. know. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, The Shield. Did you ever watch that show? No. It's about L.A. cops. It's about a, a, a task force that's put together. It's Michael Chiklis. Amazing television show. You cannot watch that show and think, oh, this is how cops behave. Because yeah. it's not that. It is a an over-dramatized, it's a gorgeous show. It changed television in its time. Because, like, the show would go on for 25 minutes, and then the opening credits would roll. And then the show would end, and the next episode would start at the exact moment the previous episode ended. Like, it was that sort of thing. Like, they were having so much fun with it. But their season two bad guy was an over-the-top, almost Marvel bad guy. Like, they just, they the the police chief got his face burned on a stove at one point. It wouldn't tell anybody what it was, what had happened. You know, just like insane stuff happened in that. This is not that. The bear is not the shield in kitchens. The bear is just a very, very, very realistic show. Yeah. About Al- kitchens. Although I would say that in, in a show about kitchens or restaurants, if you burn your face on a stove, you probably wouldn't tell anyone. Correct. Um, although they'd also probably be able to tell just by the marks. Yes. Like, oh, oh yeah, Ben uh, burned his face on a stove. Don't yeah. don't mention it. They'd be able to tell. Yeah, one of my ongoing jokes with uh, security at the school where I work, they will do these very, very early uh, fire alarm tests on a, on a periodic basis before anybody gets there. But we're the first ones in the building. Security and then the kitchen staff because we've got to get stuff going, right? And so the joke is always security will come and t- say, hey, we're going to test the fire alarm so don't worry about it and i always say back to them <laughs> if anybody uh if, there, if there's ever going to be a fire in this building i'll be the first one to know because i will have started it you know yeah <laughs> so yeah we'll yeah. so so if the alarm goes off and you see us running you might want to as well <laughs> exactly <laughs> test or no so i i'm really trying to make it a thing where i'm going to finish the bear soon at least the first season so that i can talk intelligently about it but what i have seen of it and i've seen most of the first season it's eerily and very stressfully accurate and yeah. i i i at this stage have no criticism of it other than like at my age watching these younger people in this restaurant it like bothers me how much they have to learn in a life experience kind of way like people are saying things to each other in this show where i'm like i would have quit right then and the show would be over for me i would just be like fuck you i'm out you don't talk to me like that but everybody in the show is either old enough that they're not changing anything and they're just going to do what they're doing or they're young and hopeful and whatever and i'm just like yep that's when we take abuse that's when we take that abuse is when we're in our 20s and we're cranking out you know the food whatever yeah i see it's unrealistic to me until they're drinking the wine that's on top of the pizza oven (laughs) drinking peter vela cooking wine yeah yeah hot yeah how hot do you want your peter vela (laughs) (laughs) all right so steve we made a prediction and it turns out we were a thousand percent correct. Yeah. If that's, can you be a thousand percent correct? Does that mean we have to end the show because it's the first time it's happened? Ah, <laughs> uh, we might be done. This might be the last episode. From the Seattle Times, written by Bethany Jean Clement, which sounds again like a pen name for somebody who would write a cozy mystery. Absolutely. Love it or hate it, this is the surprising new trend in Seattle dining. And I had to read that like it was some 20-something young lady because that's how this sounds to me. Because it's not surprising to me. You and I have been talking about this for years now. It's just that the world has finally caught up with us. Yeah. They heard someone in Seattle is listening to the podcast. And they're like, hey, there those guys have a good idea. <laughs> Short story, restaurants in Seattle, enough so that they can consider it a trend, are either opening with... 
counter service as their style with no servers or they're switching to so this article bothers me a little bit because it's trying to draw some distinctions with some terminology that i don't necessarily like but the thrust is correct so this starts with what do you want when you go to a restaurant the answer might seem obvious you want someone to make you delicious food you want to be taken care of. You don't want to even think about the dirty dishes. You all want it to happen in a timely manner, and you're willing to pay for the privilege as long as, in the end, it feels worth it. What if you can't make a reservation, and instead you're likely to have to wait in a line? What if, rather than being guided to a table, presented with a menu, and having your needs attended to from drinks through dessert, you wait with whatever degree of patience to place your order, then give your name or receive a number, pay up front, and fend for yourself when it comes to procuring seating? Okay, you say that's not really a restaurant. That's a pizza place or a bakery or a cafe. This is where, Steve, I diverge from this yeah. article. <laughs> because counter service is still a restaurant. Yeah. A pizza place, a cafe, a bakery, that's still a restaurant. Like a bakery, if it's a bakery with no tables in it at all, and all you do is walk in and buy bread and walk out, that's not a restaurant. Fine. If there are tables, if there's a place for you to sit, it's a restaurant. Yeah. And yes, I'm saying Burger King is a fucking restaurant. So what? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not commenting on quality, you're just saying yeah. it fits under that heading. So, what they are seeing in Seattle. Some special quote, some specialize in one thing, be it possibly perfect pizza, Steve's famous, Stevie's famous, or incredible fried chicken, the chicken supply. Uh, while the definition of a bakery cafe is definitely shifting in a miraculous direction, St. Bread Others are hailed among the city's premier seafood restaurants, local Tide, or showcasing Thai dishes rarely found anywhere else around town. E.J. Packmore. The chef owners of one spot got nominated for a James Beard Award. Their new counter service place named Seattle Mets Restaurant of the Year for 2023, The Boat. So this person is discovering that you can have all kinds of food as counter service. Yeah. And I'm for it. I'm... I'm I'm here for it. The position of this show has always been that we're here for it. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, it's still, after all these years, shocking to me that an inflatable cartoon man made out of tires gets to tell everybody in the world who the best restaurants are. <laughs> yeah. Especially because if you read the book about the fella who killed himself because he lost his Michelin star, and I forget what the name of the book is. I can see the cover right now. And I forget... Uh, the chef's name, because it's Saturday, my brain is off. So much of what Michelin looks at is like thread count of your fucking napkins. How quickly a waiter gets to your table to take your drink order. Uh, temperature of your soup. Like, nitpicky bullshitty things from a bygone era, right? That's what Michelin looks at. So... To think that the service part of it, the like uh, human being comes to your table and waits on you and cares for you, is that important to the quality of a restaurant's food service? That bothers me, right? Because that doesn't take into account the fact that servers themselves are human beings and have good days and bad days, right? Yeah. And so you could have the greatest food in the world, but... If these other things don't line up the way that the cartoon tire man thinks they should, you don't have a good restaurant. It's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I think you can make astonishing food 
and serve it over a counter. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that it takes away from the experience unless the expectation of the experience already held by the customer is different from what the experience is going to be. And then that's a different problem. That's a yeah. customer problem. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, if, uh, I'm sorry, my, my mind wandered there for a second. So right. the, the, yeah, so the simultaneous, like simultaneous serving when, when you've got like, they, they did this with the desserts when we did the dessert thing on the ship. Yeah. Um, where it would be like, okay, two people and you wait and I don't know if they count to three or whatever. And then you set the plates down at the same time. It's like, there's, there's that, that is a different experience for sure. Um, that didn't make the desserts taste any different <laughs> than they would have if they would have just come out and handed them, you know, as, as they were going along instead of, instead of simultaneous, um, plating or whatever um not plating because that takes place in the back but simultaneous you know uh putting the plate in front of the people so if there are eight people at the table then it all, all happens at the same time um but that's then moving into um some of the theatrical aspects of it a little bit more um le- like your uh oh what's the one with the covid balls uh, Alinea. <laughs> Alinea, yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. And, I mean, that's those those places can still exist, and you can still go do those things. Um, it, I mean, is that fine dining, or is that, like, fine dining? Like, I, mean, I don't know what, <laughs> if there's a scale there. Because, yeah. obviously, you're not going to have fine dining counter service, because right. that wouldn't be that. Um, but you could still have high-quality food counter service. Yeah. And, and, and I... I I love it. And then people can waste their money on the <laughs> the stuff where eight waiters come to your table of eight to drop the plates at exactly the same moment. Right. Well, and so to go back to this article, quote, these not real restaurants are garnering rave reviews and landing on national best restaurant lists alongside the likes of Oat Service uh, Con Lease, right? Why is this happening? Don't restaurants want to provide proper service anymore? And how is this anything but worse for the diner? Exactly. This is, again, where I diverge from the thrust of this article. Not real restaurants, that's a term that needs to be held aside for ghost kitchens, right? So if you order from a Jimmy John's, but it's coming out of a warehouse that has a single Jimmy John's kitchen in it and it's going directly to Grubhub, that's a not real restaurant. Right. If you have a brick-and-mortar storefront with tables... And you are taking orders, you are taking money, you are making food, people are sitting at tables. It's a restaurant. It doesn't matter whether or not this lady who writes for the Seattle Times thinks it's a real restaurant. It is a real restaurant, right? What this person is trying to say is that they're not good. And she doesn't know why they're being considered good. And it's because, just to, to twist this back on her a little bit, how is this anything but worse for the diner? Apparently it's not. Because yeah. they're landing on national best restaurant lists. So I would say somebody who goes to a restaurant and feels like the being waited on hand and foot part is as important as the food shouldn't go to these places then. That yeah. isn't the experience you want, which is fine. So if you open a really high quality counter service joint, just make sure everybody knows what it is. Yeah. And when people come in and they expect to be waited on, they're going to be disappointed, but they won't come back. Or the next time they come back, they'll already know. Their expectations will match what the reality of the situation is. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. Is you just manage expectations. So you know, and and when I think about like when when I go out to eat, what is it that I want? And it's not for me to pretend that I'm have more money than I actually do. Which <laughs> right, seems to be part of the you know having someone else wait on you. Like I have servants at home that wait on me and live in servants' quarters and you know doing my laundry. I don't have any of that, so I don't need to pretend that, like that's the case when I go out to eat. Um, usually, if I'm going out, it's because the other people are involved and it's to be in their company and to break bread with them and have a conversation and talk and have fun and. The fewer times I'm interrupted by someone, um, the, the better. And if that means I have to get up and you know, get my own refills or whatever, um, then I'm I'm fine with that because then that's, you know, th- that's not taking away from the shared experience of eating together yeah. with people. A- and if that means that we send someone to scout out tables while the rest of us wait in line or whatever it is, I've never been at a counter service restaurant. Well, I'm not going to say I've never like so smoke. Um, yep. I, there's sometimes where you're standing for a while and you're waiting for someone to get up, but I don't think I've ever gotten my food before I've gotten a seat. Right. Me either. So, um, I mean, I imagine that that could be a problem. I mean, if you're, if you're jam-a-lamming, um, real hard because you're that, your food is that good, then, uh, people, you know, aren't gonna, uh, aren't gonna mind. The, the seafood places we've been to out in, um... In Connecticut, uh, Cap Captain Jack's no Cap yeah Captain Jack's Lobster Dock, Captain somebody's Lobster Dock, um, <laughs> Captain uh, Geach and the Shrimp Shack Cap- Shooters, <laughs> yeah, Presidential Flashcards, <laughs> uh, Captain Scott's Captain Scott's Lobster Dock. They have their kitchen is basically the only building, and then they have t- one at least pretty big pavilion and a whole bunch of picnic tables and high tops with um. You know, um, Adirondack chairs or the high high ones of those too, and it's like so. Y- y- the barbecue place that when it first opened that catered Kayla and I's wedding as well. When we um, first were going to Four Rivers down there, it was um, and the the seating is still like this, but it's it's covered now. But they had a little shack, and you ordered, you, you went through, and you got your food, and you had your tray as you left, um, and then you w- went around looking for a, a place at a big picnic table, and those places were yeah. always packed. Yeah. And nobody minds. So if you're if you're doing the right thing, and if you ha- if that means that you can invest more in getting high quality ingredients or getting the food that you really want to be making, then you know I don't see the the drawback. Well, let's let's run through the benefits from a an operator side first, right? So if you are not having to hire servers, that's a savings of capital, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to hire servers, which also means you don't have higher payroll taxes it means you don't have to shell out for more health insurance like there's a lot that goes with that right fine if you're not doing table service you probably i mean you've got to have a couple bussers because people aren't going to clean their own tables they may bust their own dishes but they're not going to clean their own tables right right? you have less so there's less um there's fewer translation issues right so when you are standing at a counter ordering from someone who is standing at a register you the customer you're ordering you've placed your order directly from your brain into the person who's going to be sending that information directly back to the kitchen it's not that you are giving that information to a person who's writing it down who then has to go to a computer and then put it in all that it's happening right in front of you so you're going to get what it is you ordered or the kitchen screwed it up which 
that still happens. But there are so many places along the customer to server to server to computer to computer to kitchen pathway where things can go wrong. Where this cuts out two of those, right? Counter service places you pay first. So you don't have customers who go, I didn't like this thing. I'm not going to pay for it. Well, you already did. So uh, fuck off. Fuck all the way off. (laughs) Fuck out the door and don't fucking come back. Right? There's a ton of stuff like that, like simple things, like you don't have to buy big banquet server trays. Like just just so much apparatus in the front of the house you don't have to worry about having. So automatically a bunch of costs are just gone and controllable costs in the restaurant industry are your lifeline because there are so many uncontrollable costs, right? You don't know what tomatoes are going to cost tomorrow. But if you can just say, yeah, 40% of my payroll doesn't exist anymore. That's huge. Yeah. And uh, um, you don't have the the wait staff working for the customer instead of you. You don't have someone stealing right. uh, ramekins of whatever to give to the because they want they want a tip. Also, uh, you don't have to tip at counter service, right? So right, win for the customer there as well. Yeah, price on the menu is price you're paying most likely. I bet there's a uh, uh, I would say so. Let's say I were to open up a place that was counter service. The person who's running that register is making living wage, whatever that is, right? At the very least, they're making at least what the kitchen's making. Because also, I don't want that person to be dependent on tips, right? I've been railing about this for years. But it's different for me to say that now, knowing it's like one person, or possibly like three people, because you can't have just one person work seven days a week. (laughs) As opposed to a regular restaurant that treats servers like they're disposable and has like 50 of those people. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Now, if somebody wanted to tip, I'm sure that because Square and Toast and all of those still have the automatic, like, hey, I turned the computer around, so you better tip me, uh, button on there, you know, uh, some people will still probably tip. That's fine. Yeah. Where would that go? Would that go to everybody? How would you split that? (laughs) Well, let's ask David Pizer. Yeah. Because I bet you it would go to another airplane. Yeah, Yeah, well, fuel, those things are, I mean... Owning one is one thing, but maintaining and because uh, you gotta have a place to keep it, you gotta fuel it, oh, you yeah. gotta have pilots. Unless he, he also like flies big, planes, yeah, a big tarp over it in case it rains. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. I mean, one of Elvis's planes just got sold because it's been sitting on the tarmac in Vegas since nineteen seventy <laughs> whatever. Maybe Pizer bought that one too. <laughs> uh, so I mean, again, we've talked about this for a while that in in America at least the power structure turned in the favor of the customer. To the point where it's like, yeah, you're at Red Lobster, but you don't get to treat the staff like garbage because you suddenly think because you can afford to go out to Red Lobster that you're the queen of England and you can trash these people all the time. Certain types of food, certain, I hate to use the word levels, but that's really what it is. Levels of of food service just don't require a server. And for people who want to go out and be pampered, like you were saying about fine dining, that can still be around. That's fine. Yeah. You'll pay a premium for it. And great. Look at you. You're paying a premium for this service, this extra service, right? Like if you go to get your hair cut and you also have them wash your hair, that costs more money, right? So if you go to a restaurant that does counter service, that costs a certain amount of money. You go to a restaurant where someone is employed there to bring it to you. Well, that costs more money, right? Great, I'm here for all of that. But I don't necessarily think it's a particular type of food or cuisine or whatever that requires that. I bet you you could essentially run a steakhouse this way. 
yeah. if it was small enough and if you were, like you said, very open about what the expectations were. I mean, you, you have to a little modification perhaps to lay out. So converting um, something into counter service might take a little yeah. thought. But yeah, I think there's a lot of places that could work like this. I, I would. Yeah. I got wigged out. I don't know if they're still doing it because I haven't been to Panera in years. But the for I was always fine with. We will call your name into the speaker, or we'll call your number, or your little thing will vibrate, and you come up here and you get the food you ordered from the end of the counter Panera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then they started bringing it to your table, and that always wigged me out because I didn't know. <laughs> it's like make up your mind what you are, Panera. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in my head, there is this like proactive revenge on all of the customers who ever said that their dish was not right when I knew it was right as a line cook. The idea of putting a plate onto a essentially a pass for the customer to come and grab, and they look at it and they go, "This isn't what I ordered," and the ticket is sitting right next to it, and I go, "Yes, it is," and then I turn and go back to what I was doing. Right? Yeah. I love that idea like a lot. <laughs> I wanted this sauce on the side. No, you did not. Well, then you should have asked for the sauce yeah. on the side. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody's seen the bear, so they know they don't want to talk to the cook. So I just stand there with a knife in my hand like, you wanted what? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, I don't see a downside to this. I don't see that this needs to have an entire article in the Seattle Times where this person is, uh, to a certain degree, crying about the loss of service. It's not a loss of service. It is a very calculated and well thought out discussion about what service needs to be and what needs to have service. Yeah. Well, and and I also feel like I said that if if missing out on just sitting it and having someone wait on me means that the food is better because they're able to purchase, you know, uh, better tomatoes, better whatever. To, to do what better fish, better better chicken, you know they can they, they, they move up a notch on the uh, from the their uh, purveyor. Then I'm for it because that means the food is better. Um, now if it if we aren't getting waited on and everything's being served to us uh, on a paper plate that was um, rescued <laughs> from the trash next door, then then yeah, I'm not going to be as into that. Like if the quality suffers um, as well, but I don't I don't see the service as. Um, uh, 100% necessary in terms of quality of the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I push back against this idea that if your restaurant is counter service, it automatically is lowered. Somehow. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not, that's, not that's every, not every counter service is Chipotle. Right. right. It doesn't, doesn't have to be that. Right. It doesn't have to be that. Yeah. Um, that's not, that's not what that means. And, and I think that if people are being pushed in the direction of counter service or welcoming that, then that means that, uh, we're going to see some versions of counter service that we've never seen before. People are going to get inventive in, in what that means. And I think that's cool too. Right. Well, and so one of my favorite, not meals, but like meal experiences was at a hotel in Orlando, Florida, where we were down there to visit you. I don't recall why. We just happened to be down there. And the hotel restaurant was like a 50s diner. And I sat at the the, the counter. And the person who took my order cooked my order 
from the flat top that I could see from where I was sitting. And there was not really service. She just turned around and handed me what I had ordered. And then if I wanted coffee, I had to get up and go get it. But it was awesome. It was essentially, because it turned the corner even from like, oh, well, we don't have servers. This is just counter service. It turned that corner into, it felt like I was at somebody's house. Yeah. And I was sitting at their kitchen table and they were making me a meal. That's what it turned into. Now, that was a combination of the way they were set up, the fact that it was a high-end hotel, and that particular person. But it was amazing. Yeah. And it, the, I don't even remember if the food was good. The experience was amazing. Um, Kayla and I went on the literary pub crawl when we were in England. Um, this was in London. And they took us to this one bar that has been the same since, I don't know, it's England. So 13th century, I don't know. But um, it, it was, they don't make bars like this anymore, which is a shame. But maybe this is something, if you're thinking counter service could be a counter service type of thing, uh, along the lines of what you're saying with the 50s diner even. So it was like a, a cheers kind of bar, you know, sure. big oval. Um, however, instead of being open like that, there were a bunch of rooms that the fourth wall was the bar. Oh, okay. So but each one of those rooms had a separate door. And so like you and your party could just be all in, we're just all in this one room and we're, we're not really interacting with anybody else in the bar, but the bartender can still have access to us. Um, so if you think of that on a restaurant scale, I don't, I, I mean, you, you couldn't have a huge restaurant cause you wouldn't want your kitchen to be super long and oblong and, and, and weird. But, uh, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's options is all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, so the opposite end of that spectrum is my son for his birthday this past year did not want to have a big party. He didn't, he knows very well. It's going to be tough for us to top the year during COVID that he turned 13 and we rented out a movie theater to watch Spider-Man No Way Home. That was glorious, right? It's going to be very tough to top that. He wanted to go get a big steak and have a big steak dinner. So we went to Gibson's. Gibson's, and this is no uh, shade on Gibson's at all. It is what it is and it is what it has been for a very long time. Very busy steakhouse, huge mungus steaks, like just ridiculous sized steaks. And then you order sides to share. They had as many servers in the building actively walking around as customers. It was a <laughs> sea of servers, barbacks, bussers, uh, server assistants. It was like it was difficult to walk around the restaurant because of the amount of staff guaranteed the meat was great the food was okay beyond the meat right like clearly a very meat focused place and then the broccoli <laughs> we got was like well it's fucking broccoli clearly the cost of that restaurant is in its staff uh because there were so goddamn many of them it felt to me and i know i'm in the minority oppressive there yeah. were just way too fucking many of them like it had ballooned completely out of control so yeah that but that's my perspective on it right like i who cares what i think about gibson steakhouse they're wildly successful that is the other thing is is that freneticism i don't doesn't doesn't aid my digestion yeah Um, but like you're saying if there was an oval kitchen in the middle of that restaurant that had pass windows had four pass windows out into other sections of the dining room where you would at a counter or from your phone from a qr code at your table order your food and then your phone gets an alert. Yeah. 
your food's up and you go and grab your food could that work hell yeah it could yeah absolutely i i think so and then you have half a fleet of bussers yeah do I want to open up a Gibson-style steakhouse that's counter-service right now? No. That sounds awful. <laughs> so I don't want to work that hard. Yeah. We're just we're spitballing. This is, and this is just tip of the iceberg <laughs> stuff, too. So, uh, um, yeah. But uh, it, it, moral of the story is they are restaurants, and they that means nothing. Counter-service doesn't mean anything um, in terms of quality. Right. Right. Well, and again... Do I want to get rid of servers at diners? Not really, but that's because there's a breed of server that works at diners that I adore, right? Diner servers at their best are the ones who will sit down in the booth with you, call you honey, and talk to you like they've known you forever. The food is okay, it is cheap, the coffee is bad, but there's a lot of it, and the server calls you honey. I'm there for that entire experience. If there was a counter service diner that was not the one that I had at that hotel, I don't know that I would be that excited about it. Especially if I'm at a diner in the morning just getting my bearings. I don't think I want to carry a cup of coffee and a plate of eggs anywhere. I'm not going to be capable of doing that. Yeah, that's not a diner. That's a hotel lobby. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a Holiday Inn Express uh, breakfast nook kind of thing, right? That's not what I'm looking for. So do certain styles of service, of, of, of restaurant, require servers? Fine dining, yes, because that's functional. Diners, yes, because it's cool. It's part of the thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, and we're not we're not saying that people should or have to get rid of wait staff. We're just saying yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, um, it, it's, it seems to be a trend. Um, we can see the benefit, some benefits uh, of it for sure. Um, so, also, you know, we called not? it. Yeah. <laughs> we called it. We did go back and listen for the, you know, when when was that first COVID? Was that when we first? I think so. <laughs> it's been years. We've been talking about this now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, we're going to see a shift like that here in Chicago, guaranteed, because Chicago is in the process of, in a very measured and calm way over the next five years, increasing the minimum server pay in this city till it gets up to minimum wage. Uh, and already restaurant owners are crying poverty and it's like the thing hasn't even been enacted yet so fucking chill out you can't yeah. claim that this is harming you it hasn't even started yet and will that have an effect on the payroll at restaurants of course it will does that mean you're going to hire fewer servers yes of course it will servers will quit jobs because as soon as a restaurant has to pay you minimum wage you could be for damn sure you're not standing around as a server anymore you're going to have not just side work anymore ladies and gentlemen uh all kind of crap you're going to need to do, right? Are bussers going to go away if you're paying a server fifteen fifty an hour? Yes. You're going to be bussing your own tables. You're going to be actually working for the first time in your lives. Sorry, servers. But, like, decisions, very specific decisions are going to have to get made about that. And like you were saying, in some cases, restaurants will eliminate that position and reorient how they operate. Yeah. For better or for worse. Some places will close. I'm not saying this is going to be a completely painless thing. I would then say, though, again, if your business model is set up in such a way that you cannot afford to pay your staff, your business model is wrong. Yeah, and you deserve to get closed or to, to close. Yeah, I think I think the big, um, big areas that that uh, big categories things are going to fall into in in the the kind of 
um, mid-range or whatever uh, echelon of restaurant we're talking about is going to be yeah, either waitstaff becomes staff um, and in that also waits tables. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. like yeah, you're not just waitstaff, you're staff and you also wait tables like what you were saying. So that's one. Counter service is another. And I think another big pool, and this is maybe a little um, not necessarily the same pool of restaurants, but I think what we'll see especially fast food go into is touchscreen um, yep. all automated ordering automate all, all of that. So you've got like one or two people in the kitchen and you never talk to them, but the order comes up on a screen. They make it, they, they put it on a conveyor belt or whatever and you end up getting it, but you don't even talk to a human. There is a Boba tea place on the corner of Irving and Milwaukee called sweet dragon. And my daughter and I went there because my 11-year-old daughter is obsessed with boba tea. That's the new thing for right now. And we walked in, and there was a great big-ass screen right there, 10 feet inside the door. And there was a kid behind the counter. And we ordered off the screen. We paid right there. We waited. And then not too long after that, we heard, hey, your stuff's ready. And we went over, and we grabbed it. And honestly, didn't really need to talk to that person at all. And in that particular application, no part of that bothered me because I didn't have any questions. There were things on that menu that were grayed out that you could not click on, which is glorious, and I love that idea so much. Yeah. The idea that you 86-something and four servers immediately serve. They, they sell three of they, they sell one apiece, right? Never going to happen. If in the kitchen you run out of something, you could have a computer available to you where you're like, salmon's gone. You can't have that anymore. And then nobody can order it if they're ordering off a screen, right? Yeah. Or if your servers have tablets themselves. Um, it was fine. Now, do I want to go out to um, Eden, where we went to for my anniversary, and order off a screen and never talk to anybody? No, because that's not part of that experience. That experience was that server had things to tell us about the dishes as they came out. That server had recommendations to make, had questions to ask us, that sort of thing. That's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like all of those things. Do I want to go to a Wendy's and have a server spend 15 minutes with me going over the menu? No, <laughs> I don't want to go to a Wendy's anyway, but there are parts of my industry that don't require servers. Yeah, And we're finding out more and more never did require servers. Yeah. And all it took was a pandemic. <laughs> I know, right? Millions of people had to die. That's it. And then you look at the bear. Bear's all counter service. Which I still don't really understand because I don't have a clear view of what their restaurant looks like. Because <laughs> it's filmed in such a way that the viewer is the newest employee. Yeah. Man, Steve, that is uh, essentially all I have for this evening. How about you? Yep, I'm good. I'm all wrapped up in my Wookiee skin down here, but it is cold in my basement right now. <laughs> so I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this up. I should have said this at the beginning of the show, ladies and gentlemen, but we are uh, on the internet. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. Steve, I made a... So let me back up a little bit. I made some bread. My wife had covered our garden bed in the back uh yard with some plastic and she was able to harvest some spinach all the way into december right oh wow and then she put it in the fridge and it was in the fridge for a week or two and then it started to get a little wilty so i dehydrated it made a powder out of it then i made a sourdough and i put that spinach powder in it it was wild uh, 
If you want to see, ladies and gentlemen, stuff like that, Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. I also, it's just musings and, and observations and pictures of weird shit. I have a Facebook group and a Facebook page for this show, if you just look for In the Weeds with Ben Randall on Facebook. If you have a lot you want to say, in the weeds wbr at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of us and steve runs a website for us just updated it today in the weeds wbr.com so all this stuff is up there nice and uh yeah we have uh we're always looking for more voices to be on this show so if you are running a restaurant and you're considering switching to counter service or any of the stuff we talked about today right like if you have information about david Pizer and edda and all of these other things holy shit would we love to talk to you because uh <laughs> we're certainly not breaking the story it's already been like in the tribune but getting getting real restaurant employee voices on stuff like this only helps to prevent stuff like this from happening later when people talk about it and you get these articles that are like oh this poor guy had a default on his loans this dude did this to himself if the employees aren't going to talk about it nobody's going to talk about it right? yeah so open call right there if you have things to say about the bear if you disagree with me about that please let me know as well we have all in the restaurant industry had the same experience but at the same time we've all had wildly different experiences right right so happy to hear your views on that besides that steve that's all i've got how about you cool yep all right so sorry that it was uh two-week hiatus for steve and i my dad was visiting last weekend because my wife was out of town for any of those of you in the restaurant industry who have like a full-ass family life first off what were you thinking secondly you know how hard it is to schedule anything and so just the fact that my dad was in town i don't see him all that often i could not carve out a couple hours to hang out with steve bummer <laughs> i know but um my dad's 72 i'll take all the time i can get between now and he's gonna live to be like 109 i'm sure so i've got plenty of time but I, i'd like to snatch up any time with him i can absolutely all right so for in the weeds with ben randall i am ben randall and i'm Stephen cattle we will talk at you next week bye-bye because my dad's not visiting next weekend <laughs> <laughs>